episode 83 of the Unheard Podcast. Back. Another week. We stayed consistent this week, but, you know, we had to make it up after a couple weeks, you know, a couple missed weeks, inconsistencies. We came back with a jam-packed episode. Tell us what we got. All right, obviously we had the whole Astro World tragedy. We felt like we had to get an expert in, so we brought back a guest from episode 66. We've got Kevin Lyman, USC professor, founder of Vans Warp Tour. Uh, and we also have another special guest in the third part of the episode. Yeah. Shout out John Simone. Y'all stay tuned to the end. <laughs> no, no. This man was like begging me to no pass way. the ball. And, no. he, <laughs> and he just threw that shit out of bounds. <laughs> All right. Into episode 83 we go. So obviously, you've been, you've seen more share festivals and like concerts than we ever have. And I saw this uh, article by Rolling Stone about uh, before Astro World concert disasters in history. So like just to put it in a co- into context, um, eight people um, tragically died at Astro World. Is how does that kind of compare to past uh, festival or concert tragedies? Well, I think you you look at it all in the sense of you know. Every every death, anytime there's a death at a concert, it has to be analyzed or a tra- tragic event. You know, we had the route, the the country festival. You know, and that was like a, a shooter over a half a mile away. That was the largest mass casualty event ever related to a concert or live event in in the U.S. But going all the way back to like the Ariana Grande when they had the bombing outside the venue. Uh, when we've had a stage collapse in Indiana, where uh, some people were were fatally injured during that. You know, uh, so right now, you know, it's 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 definitely a reflective time in the business, especially as we've been coming out of this pandemic. Uh, and everything seems to be, you know, the light switch was off and it's come back on. And, you know, I know even here in Southern California, they had a couple festivals this weekend. I mean, there's so many festivals going on. But I think this is a time when uh, you, you really have to start looking at, you know, they'll start tearing this apart. There's a big, uh, like I always say, that peeling the onion back, you know, and this is going to be a time where you have to peel a lot of layers back to figure out what went wrong at this event. So speaking a little bit on that, um, obviously the, the artist himself is going to take the bulk of the blame, but at least in your experiences during these situations, like who is really to blame? Is it the management team, the event team, um, you know, like crowd control, like, Who's to blame like during these sorts of tragedies? Uh, you know, when, when you have an event like this, you've got to, you know, it starts from the beginning. You know, they're going to go back and start looking at, you know, the security and staffing. But, you know, I, I look at all these levels and, and there's there's there was definitely a lack of communication. Uh, you know, there has to be somebody. And I was going back through some paperwork I wrote about, I don't know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago about this type of situation and how the chain of command that ultimately it falls, you know, on the communication with the artist as well as the production team that there is a communicate a way to communicate either through a stage manager, someone close to the artist. If there's a situation going in the crowd 
that has the ear to stop the show. Uh, they're going to be looking at that very closely. Uh, they're going to looking at staffing right now. Uh, we've all been talking about, I think anywhere, you know, all we hear about is labor shortage, labor shortages. And we are a microcosm of society. And though they have said that there's been with 700 security guards and 500 security guards, they're really going to have to go through that and see how many actually showed up. Uh, I look at it as, you know, how are the barricades set up? It looks like they just had a straight barricade in front of the stage. When you get past 15, 20,000 people facing a stage directly, uh, not a multi-stage festival necessarily, where everyone's gonna be focusing on one act, you need to have layers of barricades there. Did they have, it didn't appear to me they had those. Um, that really helps break up that kind of crowd surge. Um, I'd said the audience, uh, you know, you have this, you have a, you know, Travis Scott draws a, a mixed audience. It's a very diverse audience. Uh, somewhat aggressive crowd that, that feeds into what he's about. But then you have a, his pop side, that kids are listening to him in a more pop element. And those pop kids come in to listen to one single. They like the radio hit. They like whatever they're listening right, to. Right, right, they like, right. So, so, the, so they all rush to the front of the stage and think you don't have to eat, eat all day long. You don't have to drink all day. They want to be in the front of the stage. And early in the day, it's easy to stand up to the front of the stage. But as that crowd grew and that crowd grew, and then when he went on and you have the focus of 50,000 people on those stage, those kids are already weakened from standing there all day long, probably not eating properly, not drinking water properly, uh, that they don't realize how it's starting to build up behind them. You know, I always had it where my tours, I tried to, you know, I had those short 30 minute sets on seven stages so it was, I call it mixing the pot. So you're constantly mixing the pot of people. So people are roaming and moving. I think that's, it's gonna, you know, this is something we look at. Uh, you know, they're gonna also look at the response time of what, how long it would take, you know. And then, you know, you know he, he's gonna have to answer to some of these things, but it's not the first time that he's, that the crowds have gotten, you know, he'd had a couple misdemeanors in the past. So they're gonna look at past history. Yeah, can you, I wanna, see if you can answer a question on social media it's kind of been circling around there's a lot of people kind of on the fence about wondering could Travis Scott have known the severity of what was going on in the crowd there seems to be some people that think the artist on stage can't ever know what's going on in the crowd during a festival and then there's the other side that believes that the artist is consistently getting updates from stage managers and tour managers well he he definitely should have been you know, I See mean, answers that oh, okay. he definitely should have been. That's the ultimate thing. You know, I mean, if his management team and his touring team didn't have that communication with him, then that's a down. That's a that's a failure on their part. Um, right. Uh, you know, honestly, I mean, you know, I you know, I, I try to. I, it, it's going to be sorted out, but you know, it ultimately, an artist, you know. I ultimately always had the right to stop a show. And I did it many times. And many times the artists would stop the show. If they saw something, they would stop the show. But we always had someone that was like direct communication to be able to get to me or our stage manager that all artists knew that in, in a pinch, we have to stop the show, stop the show. I see. And what yeah, was what's the precedent for like stopping the show? Because I saw some people saying like as soon as Travis saw somebody pass out, <laughs> he should stop the show. And then I saw other people kind of saying like people pass out at shows all the t all the time. Like we went to a concert this last weekend, and one of our friends like 
passed out and it was like the show just kept going it was like still fun but like what's the precedent for that well i mean you know it's it really comes down to communication i mean precedent for stopping the shows i mean i must have stopped probably in my life done thousands of shows 50 to 100 shows maybe for a moment get things under control then the show goes on um I don't know. You know, there's there's some discussion about the time between things started happening and the show, you know, stopping and stuff. Um, you know, that, it's very early, and I think social media. You got it gave everyone. Everyone's an expert, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, the problem is social media gave made everyone an expert in a multiple things. I like when I do a show and the weather's coming like a storm, and it was really going to come down to me and a few people that are going to decide if the show goes on or not. But everyone has an opinion. And right now we're in a world that everyone can have an opinion, but it's going to take some time to sort this out. Um, you know, I just try to look at it from a, a from a my historical my life and how I led shows, and and I just think that you know they're going to find you know communication just seemed to be lacking in some way. So with, with acts like Travis Scott and Playboy Cardi and Lil Uzi Vert, like these artists that you know have such rowdy fans and like mosh culture, which. You know, I've been told on multiple occasions by friends who like not really into that, that, you know, it's very uncomfortable and it's very unsettling. Um, like outside of just stopping the show, what could be done to kind of mitigate that crowd or make that a little bit more safe? Or is that just something you kind of have to deal with with the artists? Well, you, you kind of, you know, that's how you can arrange your barricades and stuff that, you know, we've done, you know, where you kind of if you choose to go up, you know, the wash is going past this point, but you have some safety zones behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, you know, you can build some outer barricade rings and we've dealt that multiple, multiple times. I think it's also, it's, 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 it's new to be honest. Moshing and hip hop is only like that, that kind of pop hip hop crowd. It's, it's only the last few years. Those artists you just mentioned are pretty young artists. I mm-hmm. come from that punk world that's 30 years old and that's been part of the culture. So when people kind of go into it, you usually have people mentoring you and training you how to go to a show. Mm-hmm. Here, like I said, you know, some of the videos I've seen, I, I don't think young children should be held up, you know, brought up to the front of the stage. You know, yeah. you don't see that. So there is some, you know, and, and you don't want to say that, but there, there's some, you know, it's new. You know, I mean, you know, I came from that world where I didn't see really, you know, maybe up until Ice-T did Body Count, you know, but it started crossing over and there was moshing. But, you know, when I used to work old hip hop shows, people just were chilling, just having a good mm-hmm. time. And that more aggressive punk, a, you know, culture, and that's really what it is, of a very active audience is, is new a lot to the fans that go to these type of shows. And they're young. I mean, you see the, the audience, you saw eight, nine-year-olds, and you saw 30-year-olds there. And, uh, you know, it just, it, people get in trouble real quick. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's, how do you fix it? But I always believe every time that music crosses over to pop, it brings an audience that's maybe not prepared for that type of show, too. How, how um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's going to be devastating, especially, like, right now, but, like, how long-lasting of an impact or how devastating will this really be to Travis's career? As someone who's been, like, on a crazy trajectory over the past couple of years with all his brand deals and, Oh, I you know. know. I, I was thinking about that. I was with, you know, I use him in one of my classes as an mm-hmm. example you know, I talk about older artists like a, like a Jimmy Buffett who built their brands. And I use Travis Scott as an example of that young entrepreneur that is like, I said, he, you know, he's like the brand, you know, he touch of gold. 
Mm. You know, maybe maybe missed it with a cacti drink a little bit. But, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, that one. But it was like up until that point, everything he touched was gold. I think, you know, there's going to be a it's going to take, you know, I'm, I haven't seen anything, but I've been kind of waiting for the fallout on that. And I think uh, there's definitely going to be some. But, you know, you could look back through history and we were I was talking last night and, you know, I mean, you look at an artist like Snoop Dogg. He's recovered pretty well from some of his past things in his life, and now he's that golden. He could, he could, he could brand and sponsor anything. I, mm-hmm. I use him as an example in my class that you can show him twenty different brands that accept him and the the public. And some of the stuff from his early career wasn't the best, the most shining. So I don't think it happens overnight. Um, I think the whole man, everyone, everything's going to have to be real reevaluated. Um, and he's going to have to really decide if, if what he's going to want to do with this. But short term, I see some, some you know, just like what we're seeing with, uh, with the quarterback with Rodgers this week. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's repercussions in life. And it's how you, I think, can anyone be rehabilitated in the world? Absolutely. It's just, you know, it's going to take some time and, and how the next few months are handled. I saw, I was reading a um, CNN article. And they like interviewed some insurance person and he said like this is gonna cause insurance to go up. And everybody said this will cause like the ticket price for like festivals to go up. So how do you see the future of festivals now? How much more can insurance go up already? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, coming out of the pandemic, it they it was jacked up way high. So I think, you know, look, I hate to say it, but you know, there's there's gonna be uh, much, you know, payout. Um, I think maybe there's gonna be some set guidelines past a certain size audience in a general admission setting, um, how it's going to be done. Um, this indemnification letter and this contracting that goes on that we, that we uh, do, you know, I always had it in my contracts and literally I had a couple artists who wouldn't pay attention and I pulled it out. I said, you guys sign this right here. I mean, you are responsible for everything that goes on on that stage. And then actually mm-hmm. one, when one time I kicked a, a band off a tour because they just couldn't, get their head around it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, I, I think we're just going to have to be tougher. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, we're coming out of a pandemic. There's a, everyone's rushing to festivals. There's so many of them. A lot of people who were trained to really run to these festivals retired or went on to do other things right now. So we're, I think everyone's going to have to back up. This make, is going to make everyone back off, take a breath and figure out how we want to move our business forward. What did you uh what did you make of Travis's kind of response? Um, I guess the timing of it, what you said, if if you in, if you got to see it, I think it was about a minute and a half. He posted it on his socials. I didn't really watch his whole. I didn't really watch the whole thing. I, I pulled that up, and you know there there there's a resp- you know there's a response, and then there's no response, and the right response. You know, I mm-hmm. it's it's going to be over the long term. That initial response is never going to be a good one. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> never going to yeah. make. It's never, no matter what you say in the world, it's never going to be the right thing mm-hmm. to, a lot of, to a lot of the people. And it'll be over time. And, and this is going to be a very tough, very tough time for, I mean, for these families of brutal, you know, just unbelievable time for an artist to really, I mean, a very talented artist, uh, had, a, had, a, had a movement going, his fans were in movement, um, you know these artists have a movement going. Uh, it's it's going to be it's everyone's going to have to have to take a breather here and and let 
let things sort it out. And unfortunately, much of this will be sorted out in the courts over the next uh, couple of years. I think that kind of covers all the main questions we wanted to uh, ask. Do you have anything else you want to add on the situation? No, you know, it's uh, it's just sad. You know, you just you don't go you don't go to a concert expecting not to come home. You don't send your fam- kids to a concert not expecting them to come home. Uh, I've been through some tough situations. You know, it's it's a uh, it's it's just hard because you know people want to go see these live music shows. And I've always been an advocate that you can run general admission shows. Uh, you can run them safely. Uh, there's going to be some some risks, but you you minimize those to the most uh, because fans want that energy. They don't want to sit in seats. I mean, I don't know if Travis Scott could go do a seated show. Yeah, no, no, because because you couldn't have enough security at the venue to hold the fans back once they cho- chose to ran forward. I mean, yeah. you know, you could throw up the numbers, but I remember, and this goes back to Pearl Jam in 1991. I was on Lollapalooza in 1992. And the power of the artist that has captured their fans' hearts, you don't hold them back with security. If they choose to move, come forward. But when the artist tells them to come forward, that liability falls on the artist. It mm-hmm. always does. And I go back to Green Day, 1993. They were an amazing up-and-coming band, but they had a knack to tell people to, ch- to rush the stage. And I said, I could tell people to rush the stage. Anyone with a microphone has power. <laughs> but, but it's when it's in people's hearts that they want to be close to you and they want to do there. That's real emotion. And uh, you know, so it's a lot, a lot of things he, the words that he has said in the past will be analyzed and, and, and it's, it's, it's litigated. Yeah. Do you think um, they should institute some sort of disclaimers or something? I think you touched on a little bit earlier, but like you have those different checkpoints and it's like maybe past this point, you know, things get rowdy or. And you could put some signs up. We used Mm -hmm. to. We used to put up signs. I used to have them on my stages. It was kind of our, you know, you mosh, you get hurt. Your mom sues me. No more festival. (laughs) (laughs) You know, things like that. You know, now people gave me a lot of crap for it, shit for it, but it actually sank in that least you're, you know, Crowds, you know, crowd surfing, you get dropped on your head, you may not get back up. Mm-hmm. You know, we put these signs up and people gave me a lot of shit for it. But it was like, hey, it put it in people's minds that, hey. Right. It's better than nothing. It's, it's, it was better than nothing. Did it stop it? But I think people understood and they kind of like knew to back off or where to be or, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we used to do things like if you were crowd surfing and you came over the barricade, uh, three times, you, they, they put an X on your hand for number one, X on your hand for number two, three strikes, you're out. That's when you would get thrown out of a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few came over the third time. <laughs> you know? So, you know, it, it's you, we do what we can, but, uh, you know, music's run on emotion. Music's run on emotion. Big shows are emotional. So, I, you know, uh, I, I, you, we, we, we're pained for those families. Uh, you know, we, you know, feel for people like Travis Scott, like, you know, was he not getting the right guidance? I looked at every artist, every artist has to be willing to take guidance from professionals, you know, um, or they're unmanageable and then they shouldn't be booked on shows. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. It seems like it just needs to be like a, a better clash of artist brand and then just like mosh pit culture in general for hip hop. Um, 
But I mean, as, as someone who went to a show the next day, it seemed that that included mosh pits that next night. Um, it seemed that everybody was kind of on their heels about uh, mosh pits and making sure everybody else was okay. So hopefully this benefits the future. And I could trust you behind that stage. There was a fire marshal very much on oh, yeah. mosh pits. Very on edge. I heard the show barely barely was able to happen. but uh, So we'll, we'll see. I don't think concerts are going to go away. Uh, but we just saw it's a time of reflective and it's a time that the poor, these poor families, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to do uh, better. Well, thank you so much again, uh, Kevin, for coming through the show and talking and sharing your expertise and everything um, on live shows. Uh, thank you. No problem. If I give you what you want, here's what I need from you to be the I saw that you were a little dissatisfied or you had some, uh, I guess, controversial or contrarian takes and opinions regarding the uh, latest Okay, why do you set me LP. up like this? You set me up like this for people to Expert framing. Break it down, man. Like, that? just just get into it. The Summer Walker EP. Um, it was an album. Album. LP. <laughs> Summer Walker LP. What it was here man, for, bro? still over it. Um, all I'm going to say is I saw news today that Summer Walker's Still Over It received a Metacritic score of 92, indicating universal acclaim, according to Summer Walker Access Twitter account. <laughs> the album is set to debut at number one, selling 140 to 190K units, making it the highest streamed R&B album debut in history. Damn. Now, all congrats, I'm going to say is Summer. congrats. Congrats. But that's really all I have. Whenever somebody says congrats, I think of that uh, Tyrese meme now. (laughs) Whenever somebody says that shit, (laughs) that's all I think of. (laughs) It's the funniest video ever. (laughs) But um, no man. All I'm saying is like that is like that is a crazy that is a crazy um accomplishment. Like shout out to LVRN, shout out to Summer. They were hyping this shit up. So like I'm I like it when shit is hyped up and then it performs. But I must say personal opinion I thought that that was a bit of an over I, I saw people gassing it not to say I was surprised at the gas because it's Summer Walker and she has all the hurt women by the throat just like moving them around like a like on a pendulum and when you get that bag Drake got the bag too he got all the hurt women when you get them you're gonna get those streams and those streams are indifferent like Summer Walker said sliding down the wall they're all gonna be sliding down the wall to the music She's gone by the throat. You've seen this. Um, and I just didn't think it was It was definitely a step up from the last album. It was a step up from over it. But aside from a few Johns, like a few songs on there that had some different production and a couple of like those one-liners like, London, did you fuck this bitch? Like, like aside from those, like, <laughs> Why I wasn't really wowed. <laughs> I don't, like, wasn't that how she sang it? Like, London, did you fuck this bitch? I was like, I was like, I mean, this shit cool. The writing, like you said earlier, 
um, your comment actually made me appreciate Summer Walker in a better way because you're right. Like, maybe it's the voice or whatever the production. I don't really just care for like I did those the the first Summer Walker project, but um, the the writing is there. The writing is definitely cool. Like that's what I enjoy for it the most, like from it the most, and that's what I'm gonna listen to the album again for. But aside from that, nothing really stuck with me off the album. I like let me let me go look at it. I like the Pharrell song. Um, I I must admit, I was right about Session Thirty Three being a solid song, but I was wrong about the Dirk verse being trash, being and corny, I told y'all y'all being was cheesy. Be wrong. It was a solid Dirk verse. It was actually probably my fa- like one of my favorite Dirk verses in a while, just just off of the strength that it was a little different. Um, but he still kept it like a little like the auto tune and everything. I don't know. It was a solid verse to me. Um, session thirty three and then fourth baby mama. I mean that's just bliss. I don't know who at LVRN thought like we need to get Sierra, Cardi B. No, I don't mention Sierra. They were they were <laughs> so both no so they were Sierra. no but they they were both the fourth baby mama. Did y'all see this theory? Oh, oh three. Oh yeah. The unheard Instagram posted this. That's how I learned it. I was like, oh shit. They are all the fourth baby mama. So when I saw that, I was like, okay. No wonder the song has a prelude and it's a banger, like Taj said. This was like the Da Vinci code, like getting cracked. Like and then, you know, followed up by Sierra's prayer, which was, this shit was everything we could have expected it to be. <laughs> it was chance, even, it was you, even better you, than we expected it to be. Before you give what me, you say? I was about to say before you give your review, I wanted uh, Vance mentioned Fourth Baby Mama, and it made me think about um, like that track, and just that prime real estate of like what that's becoming of that second to last track on the album. So I want you guys to just rank like how you feel about where you rank these tracks. So we got Savage Anthem Party Next Door. You guys remember that verse? Party talking about of um, how he, okay we all remember it. We got Drake fucking yes. fans. We got Tyler the Creator, Will Shire. We got Summer Walker, Fourth Baby Mama. How are we ranking Will those? Wilshire, Wilshire. I mean, the Drake one. is automatically at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, facts. Fucking fans. Is- I just I know that for a fact. The Wilshire is definitely top two. Fourth Baby Mama, probably three. What was the other one? Savage Anthem, Party Next Door. <sighs> Wait, what about that night? Actually, the- I don't know. That nineteen off the Pink Panther is too. No, no, no. See, the thing is, it has to be like a brutally scathing type song. It has to be like brutally honest, or Uh, it didn't qualify. Like like Wellshire, I see. see, Okay, okay. Criteria. (laughs) All right. I don't know. I'll rank them like this. I feel like Wellshire definitely is like it. Just feel like the best. It just I don't know. Tyler just nine minutes. Yeah, that's one. Two and three is flip-flop because Savage Anthem is like, damn, like, that bit fire. Y'all remember Joe Budden, like, I don't remember. he was yelling that shit out. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> Joe Budden. <laughs> Nigga said this like it was a universal moment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that shit was, that shit was fire. Um, Four Baby Mom was cool, and the Drake for show at the bottom, so that's my ranking. Just because I'm a yay stan, I'm inserting Come to Life as number one. Um, and then Will Shear number two. His own track. I mean, it's a it's a heartfelt second to last song on the album. Nigga wrote in, wrote in his own answer on the multiple choice. <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote Harambe for president, but after yeah, I gotta go Will Shear, then fourth baby mama, 
What was the other one you even fucking you fans? Savage. I'm surprised you guys dismissed fucking it. fans so quickly, but okay. I just don't like fucking fans because every girl is a fan of Drake. <laughs> Somebody said this, but every girl is a fan of Drake. Like, if you bring like any girl Drake fucks is gonna be a fan. Who can Drake talking about? Oh, I hate fucking fans. Like, what do you mean, bro? Anyway. Uh, my ranking, I've got uh, Savage Anthem, uh, Fourth Baby Mama, Wilshire, fucking fans. That was my ranking. But, okay, tier review, Chance. Yeah. Um, to Vance's point, I will say for what it was, for what it was supposed to be, she lived up to expectations easily. Um, Obviously, it was a follow-up, critically acclaimed, so we already expected this kind of same mood. I didn't think she was about to take any crazy risk. Um, you think it's the same mood and she, as over it? No, it's not the same mood. Oh. But I'm saying kind of like she didn't, she didn't like just switch up her sound sonically on no crazy shit. Like you kind of knew what she was about to get. Summer, the mood was definitely switched up. Like it felt like on over it, she was more. I would say open. Like she, she got shit like potential on there, right? She was talking about she killed for a nigga and all this other shit on over it, but then she come on still over it and she like, nah, like you with the bullshit, and she eventually you know get over him. But enough of that. I'm not the one to break down the narrative. I want to talk about the tracks on here. No love. I should have known that Sizzle was gonna be the best track. Interesting. I actually thought the Scissor song was a bit of a letdown. Tosh, I don't think it was the best track. I don't was think. It, I, I guess I'll I'll correct my opinion to somewhere in between those two. There you go. I say it was it was. Just, I'll give it a top five on the project. I say that. I give it that. Right. Yeah. And then I would say she. I, I appreciate the. Like, sonically, talk to me. But y'all getting this vibe. It's, like, kind of how we went through. I feel like the dates, like, they wasn't just gimmick. Like, you look at the dates, the song titles, the themes, like, everything. Everything was real calculated. It really did feel like kind of evolution of project. So, definitely she gets a thumbs up for that. Just because, like, it starts off how it starts off um, with, like, the bitter, the X for a reason, kind of like this. You know, like, whatever. And then she no love. She start to slow it down. She get into the, to the um, reciprocate the throw it away that you don't know me is very slow like, and then she goes to circus insane like we get different shit sonically and now she's starting to like come out that shell. Who had the caterpillar theory? Who had that was, last week? Uh, you. I'm pretty sure it was you. Did I have the caterpillar what was theory? Mean? Yeah, it was you. And I said it was a good theory. one. Um, and I thought she executed. As far as favorite songs, The Toxic with Dirk Fire. The Unloyal with Ari Lennox. Ari on here. Sheesh. I'm like, damn, we might need a few more with y'all together. Uh, Constant Bullshit Fire. Insane Fire. No Love Fire. Session 33 Fire. Fort Baby Mama Prelude Fire. Fort Baby Mama Fire. Sierra's Prayer. Funny as fuck. <laughs> Somebody said it sounded like a Medea play. Or like it's not like a <laughs> that shit had me crackling because I'm just like say crackling, cackling. <laughs> 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 nigga on winter fire. <laughs> that shit had me cackling for real. Um, that shit was just. 
I'm thinking it's about to be like something at the end. No, it's like two minutes. Jesse era, like saying. This I was prayer. praying. I was praying it would. No pun intended. I was. I was hoping it would be something not as corny as I predicted, and it was just every bit corny. Like it was. It really put a stain on the album 100% for me. I can't predicted. lie. I can't lie. It put a stain on for me. Come but, on, bro. It started off with Cardi B and ended off with Sierra's prayer. Like. It's just, it ain't nothing wrong with it. It's just like, damn, look at where we started. I will say at least the Prelude and Cardi B's intro were actual songs. I will definitely give a shout out to Summer for that because I thought she was just about to get us with the track Streaming Cheese. Make like a couple little 20 second songs that niggas have to play through when they run into the album just so she can get her streams up and make the album 20, 20 songs long. But no, she didn't do that. How'd y'all feel she about put, the link of the album? Speaking it was of. a bit long for me. Too long. I think she could have cut out like five, to be honest. I'll get. I I have my review of the album, some notable takeaways, and then I have one widespread. I don't know if that's the right word. One earth-shattering take. Which which order What's do you that? guys want them in? Wait, wait. Start over. Takeaways, review, earth-shattering take. Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. No, no, no. Start with your takeaways. Right, takeaways. Uh, I think Lil Durk and Omarion were competing for who can come on the track the worst. <laughs> Lil Durk said, I'll <laughs> stick my hand in your pants, not for the smell, but just to see if you want enough. I'm like, nigga, wait, who wait. has ever stuck their hands <laughs> uh, for the smell? That, is, that, <laughs> that was a... That was... <laughs> That was a I was like, this is the sickest nigga. All I could think of was those pictures of him with that um white girl back when he was like 2012. <laughs> I'm like, this nigga really traumatized. Stop. stop. Oh, man. Stop before Dirk target us. Uh, then Omarion Please. just came on the track singing about Big Dick Energy. And I was like, bro, you're kind of ruining this song. I like the song. You're Them ruining it. was corny at the beginning. But they both Especially like, though, they Omarion. both dug themselves out of the about, hole. All I could think about was Omarion on the stage like doing like the little routine where he like kicking out the boots and shit. <laughs> Like that's all. Like, that's all that was playing in my head the whole verse. I ain't hear no lyrics, no nothing. I was just like, <laughs> this nigga—he <laughs> in the studio with shades on, doing his routine, recording the verse. That's nasty. Choreography while recording the verse is insane. <laughs> like, how you're just—it's not a good recording. Your engineer has to be pissed. Like, hella breaths. Uh, next takeaway I had from the project was Summer Walker. I'm ready for the Summer Walker Neo Soul album. Uh, the track with Ari Lennox, Chance mentioned it. It was a clear standout for me. And then she had that track with Shelly. Both of them, dare I say it, she sounded Erica Badu-esque. I'm ready for it. And we think about the Neo Soul lane, it fits Summer Walker so well. Like, think about Summer Walker's dem- demographic. Thanks. Think about the Neo Soul girl demographic. It's a circle. It's not even like a comparison contrast. It's like a perfect circle almost. Uh, I disagree. Definitely, bro. Because a week ago, we were calling Summer Walker the city girl. Bro, just, no. I wasn't calling Summer Walker the city bro, girl. No, 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 no. Listen, just look at the brand and like go back to the last, um, what's she in? She in a do with the old phone. Like the whole, the album sonically, it just sound like it's some shit that could have came out in the early 2000s. Then she get here, she in her pop girl bag. Like, she, she, the paparazzi's, like, I don't remember the last time I seen a paparazzi shot. Like, she really got the paparazzi's in her face. Like, she got the shades on and the whip. You're not falling for this thing, are you? Yeah, chances falls for everything. I mean, 
I'm not falling for it, but the branding is there. Like, we just talked about how important branding is, like, image. Like, Summer Walker, that's why she resonate, And that's why I said, like, I fuck with the project all strength of she did what it had to do. Like, I don't know if that's such a bad thing, but it was some. It was it was a little too long. I agree. It could have been cut a little bit, but she just she just she did what she had to do. I respect it. Overall review right. of the album, I think, um, similar to how we reviewed James Blake like a month ago. I feel exactly how I feel about this project. How I felt about the James Blake project. Really good project, but it's like so fucking sad. Like, so you think about Summer Walker, like. She had trouble. I don't. I guess she's like so big now. People kind of forgot about that. Like the performance issues she had when over it dropped. But if she had like issues performing over it, imagine like performing this vulnerable ass like album. Like I don't know. That'll be interesting to watch over the next couple months. But it's a really sad, really good project. I think. I already, I knew Summer Walker wasn't gonna miss. She's too good. But I would say I don't think it, it surpassed over it or even. Her first project, uh, I think it's called like Last Days of Summer, but it was still a good project. And for my major take, I got Summer Get Walker top five writers in music. Top five writer. I think she has a top five pin of known artists, of known people. Obviously, there's people behind the scenes that we don't know, but I think Summer Walker top five and if you imagine an xy graph of like writers you obviously have like who would be at the top i would have earl as like the furthest y and x but most people probably have like somebody like frank ocean furthest x and furthest y party put party up there okay you have that with x like representing like repeatability like relatability and you have y of representing like complexity I think Summer Walker has, like, her X is maxed out. She's at 100 or as far as, like, relatability. And she's at a Y as far as, like, a, a Y of zero as far as complexity. Like, it's very easy to understand. True or false? True or false? Is it easier? Is it easy to... True or false? Is it easy to write an R&B record? I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer of music. What do you mean? What Listening do you mean to general R&B. Do you think if you sat down and had to put together a hundred buzzwords that would turn out to R and B record? I mean, I think I think when he say writing, he talking about more than just the music. Like just the way she make you feel. Like even when I think about I was why like I said no love. Damn. No, I was just answering his question mid your take. <laughs> you can keep going. No, my answer was yes or no. Oh, uh yes. I, I had a I think that was your question. I had a yes, but I had a gripes. <laughs> like, more than just the writing, like, think about, like, even that hook on No Love, how she kind of, like, just that bop, like, she know how to flow, like, we talked about this last week, like, how writing is, is mostly I melody. I'm not like, even talking about G the flow. Jordan. That's what I'm that saying. Might talk about talking about. I'm talking about, like, just as far as people Straight hearing with. it and saying, damn, I relate, I would post that, like, just people hearing it. And just relating to the lyrics that she wrote. That's why. That's why I rank Summer Walker right, such yeah. a crazy well, songwriter. Write. Wait, Vance, you she's think she's a cool? She's no, no. Don't put any words in my mouth. I think Summer <laughs> Walker is slim. No, I think Summer Walker is also a cool R and B songwriter. I don't think she's cool. I think she's one of the best. That's cool. No, I'm telling you. I'm telling. You, oh, sorry. Did I say also? Yeah. I think Summer Walker is a cool R and B songwriter. Okay. <laughs> 
So what is it about R&B songwriting, like, that you think make it easy? No, I just don't think what she's doing is, like, that's what I'm saying. Niggas are going to put me out here to look like a hater. But you can't tell me what she's doing is, is like, that incredible. She's just telling a bunch of, I mean, nah. If she's telling a bunch of hurt women, like, yo, like, fuck that nigga. You cheated on me. But that's the thing. She's not. There's like other people. That's like other saying. People doing that's that, like saying. But they do it. That's like saying. That's like saying Drake is top two writers because niggas relate to his bars. Would you not consider and Drake like? Well, not this Drake, but in his prime, would you not consider Drake as one of the top five writers at that time? Why are we talking about in his prime? Yeah, Summer his, Walker's in, in her prime, prime right now. Drake is chilling. <laughs> I'm not about to diss Drake. I don't want to talk about Drake. I'm not dissing Drake either. I'm just saying. You were like a metaphor. Drake, nigga, Drake, like. Drake, right? Drake writing goes far beyond relatability. But I feel you. I feel you. I feel like if I could have drew out the graph, then you would you would feel my take more. <laughs> no, I feel you. Repeatability with making it complex. I just missing you. I'm missing you on the complex. No, that part. was the thing I said. On as far as complexity, she's a zero. Which is for her a pro. Oh, so she's just all the way yeah, down. Yeah, because everybody X. understands her lyrics immediately. Like they automatically. It doesn't take like you have somebody like Frank and he's comparing shit to nature and like youth, and you're like, uh, like it takes a like, multiple. But that's listens. my thing. I mean, I think it's it's just yeah, it's just completely. And that's why music is great because we have completely different ideas of like abstract of abstractness versus like direct. I just think it's cool. I'm. Me personally, I think it's corny when an artist is like telling you like shit that, like just buzzwords. I mean, I it's it might be hard because like niggas haven't written music, but like there's buzzwords that you can just put in there, catch people with. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's the um, buzzwords. I think I do. I get what you're saying. If it was just buzzwords, then I would be like, like Snow Allegra. I'm not trying to diss your girl chance, but Snow Allegra does the buzzword thing, like where she'll just say some shit and it's like okay, but. Summer, she's like really going in depth about like, well, let's see, what was some like, like just the how she wanted to slap London's mom. Like nobody's saying that. No other R and B girl is saying that on a track. Like they're not going that. They're not being that vulnerable. Is what I'm saying. Man, I feel like when I brought this take up about Young Thug like two weeks ago, you said he was just saying basic shit that Young Thug everybody was just saying basic hear. shit. That's why. That's why I'm like, come on, bro. Like. I feel like it's the exact same argument. When I said Young Thug was doing great storytelling on that album because he's saying a lot of relatable shit and he's okay, talking but about Young his Thug life talking vulnerable. About... No, listen. When I say he's saying it in a vulnerable way and he's talking about advice that he's giving to the youth as he's giving to his children, as he's developing into a family man, into a businessman. You told me. Okay, true you or told false, me, man. You told me. Since, since you, told... you want to do true or false, true or false, is it... Wait, I'm going to say yes or no. Yes or no, is it easier to write about talking about making sure your kid has a gun versus the heartbreak of your baby father. Which one is easier to share? I mean, as a nigga like Young Thug, I'm going to say Thug. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Okay, bro. man. Just don't let your bias get into this. I, one of those things is way easier to talk about. One of those things is way easier to talk about. I'm not letting two niggas who have never written a song tell me shit about Sarah. I'm sorry. One of those things is way easier to talk about. Flexing about what? Flexing about how you raise your kids to like be tough versus getting over a heartbreak is way easier. You're you're minimizing it. You're just saying, oh, he's telling his son to get a gun. Like, no, he's literally changing the content of his music. To do you realize what Thug was rapping about? Like five, like I put my thumb in her butt. Like it's not just about talking about rapping about. Oh, I'm gonna give my gun a son or give my son a gun. Like, come on, 
that's minimizing it. And that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm doing with Summer. All I'm doing is pushing back a little bit, saying that what you said about Thug is how I feel about Summer. It's just basic shit that people want to hear, that she knows how to write in 10, 15 minutes. It's like how Thug can put together verses in three minutes. It's the same shit to me. That's all I'm saying. All right, but if I come away from the Thug project asking me, what did you learn about Thug? Your bullet points are going to be very surface level versus what did you learn about Summer from this project? You could tell me exact instances in Summer Walker's life of like very but detailed but vulnerable tell me, moments. But tell, me, but tell me what's different about that and then like like what you're getting from this album, what you get from the last album. That's my point. It's the same. It's not like, yeah, she changed the direction. Definitely changed the sound. Definitely. Bro, it's called we're talking about, over it. We're ta- if we're talking about like universally, like universally, <laughs> like, like acclaimed. What are talking about? So now every R&B artist, it's like they're allowed to just talk about. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of goalposts being moved, which is why I don't even. This is pointless. Like I said, music is subjective. You think the direct-to-consumer, like, the vulnerability... I just don't see it as anything amazing. Like, 92 Metacritic score, amazing. I, don't, I, I agree streaming, that part. R&B I don't think album it's that, of all time, I don't think it's amazing. that amazing. <laughs> so I think you just putting Summer in top five... That Metascore like, only had, like, me. two or four reviews total on it, though. So, like, of course the, the score is skewed right now. All I'm saying is, man, I know a lot of niggas that can write... That do write a lot of R&B for um female r&b artists and i'm not saying that those niggas are incredibly talented it's just that um i'm not gonna say anything because now <laughs> it's just gonna seem after having an r&b artist on the show and shit i agree so with i'm you saying time. y'all put me up y'all no y'all put me up to be the hater and that's cool i'll take the fall uh, all i do is mention my take fall on this podcast <laughs> somebody on the podcast gotta take this fall i just want you to know that summer walker album is overgassed I compare it to the but, James Blake. That was my. I didn't gas it. <laughs> I said it was. It's on as wherever I rank no, James not Blake. You, not that's you. Where I had not you. Not you. Not you. I'm just saying overall, the shit gassed. I think we gotta give him more time. That's just initial reactions, y'all. Y'all know how we do, man. We come. We come. Just give it a. Get the initial thoughts. I told you everything I liked and didn't like about it. I think. No. I'm just being nitpicky. But it's might like, come back to it. But I'm just like. I'm hearing other stuff right now that just, I mean, like the vulnerability thing I'll give you. I just, there's no way you can tell me it's that hard to write about a breakup, a hard, like a, when you do it professionally, come on. That's like saying it's hard for LeBron to like score 50. It is. It gotta be hard. It might not be hard for her though. I'm saying she's, she's one of the best at it. I don't, I'm not, it might not be difficult, but I don't know many people who are as vulnerable as Summer and as Many people connect with those that vulnerability. Like I no, can't name I many people. I agree. She's one of the best in the game right now, but it's also her moment. Like Jordan said, it's eras, and it's not just eras within artists. It's eras in the whole landscape. And right now, it's Summer Walker era, so everything else is gonna get blacked out. So everything she touched, she shout, got the Midas touch right now. She can do no wrong. No, I just think. Um, I think she's she's like Thanos, like she controls the narrative right now, like she is the narrative. There is no other R and B artist that exists currently. <laughs> A chance. I think she snapped. One R and B artist, Tiana Taylor. You want to give your review of the concert, Chance? Man, quick! I'm quit. sorry if you missed it. I'm sorry if you missed it. That was our last tour for a little while, man. This man really believes sad, she's, she's like done. <laughs> she's not done, but she done for. I, I believe she done for a little while. 
Especially with the tour. And shit. I think she's but, done. I think she's done. Nah, she, I think she'll be back. But she talked about it. She said she ready to um like just the shit with the label and she feeling underappreciated and shit. Um, <laughs> she told y'all too. Yeah. <laughs> she told everybody. But um, nah, shout out to Yana. Like it was. It what was, what was the crowd reaction when she said that? Were y'all like boo? Nah, it was actually. That's what I wanted to say. Like the show is just so. It was just so like coordinated and like she had like for all her songs like she had like three different moments like she had a moment with the fam she had a little sexy moment and then she had like her lip moment so um she an incredible performer and singer like she interpolated like three or four songs like she did next lifetime by erica like you know how like it was 10 out of 10 one of the best live performers i've seen i was very high on it also saw kenny beats we all did Shout out Kenny Beats. Vance, your moment finally came after nearly a year of waiting to see Playboy Cardi perform Whole Lot of Red Live. Was it everything you dreamed of? <sighs> <laughs> Boy, was it. <laughs> after a night after, like, coming straight off the Kenny Beats show, sore as hell, tired as hell. Jump right back into that mosh pit like the night before didn't even happen. I promise you. I really have no words to describe that Cardi album because other than I told niggas. I told niggas with this <laughs> album and what this whole experience was going to be like. Cardi ain't come out with nothing. That nigga didn't even have the upside down cross. That nigga came out with the, um, with the Kanye tank and hella smoke and hella fire. And that was it for the whole show. And, um... The music was just loud as shit. Shit was going crazy. And, um, I don't know. That shit was just wild. It, I must say, it was a little bit interesting coming the night after the Travis News too, seeing how, like, more aware people were in the mosh pit and stuff like that. Like, some people were falling and niggas were helping them up, like, in a split second. Some, like, uh, some, somebody had to tie their shoe. And, like, the whole crowd, like, made a huge circle around dude, like, while he was allowed, to, like, to let him tie his shoe. I'm just like, damn. Like, it's sad that it took eight niggas to die for people to see that this is how you're supposed to act in a mosh pit. But um, I don't know. It was it was nice to see. But yeah, that shit was just crazy. The energy was just crazy. It was just so big, but it was so dark in there. Like it it felt like you were in a room with only like twenty niggas off of like the mosh feeling, if that makes sense. But then you just hear this loud ass music, and you remember like oh, I'm really. Just in this huge... It was basically just like a huge-ass function, it pretty much. It was metamorphosis. Y'all were in the cocoon. That's why it was dark. We were transforming, and we came out the show as uh, something. Something else. <laughs> I don't know. You know them niggas be on that satanic shit, and I wanted to get into that. No, please, no. Not to just... No, 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 no. No? No. <laughs> Chill. I'm not going to bring up the theory, but... I just want to. So what are you about to talk about? Exactly you about to give a generic satanic rant? This man's a liar. I just want to see <laughs> these motherfuckers be like, damn. When you do think about it, these motherfuckers do just be having like satanic rituals at their concerts and shit. No. This when you think about it, they do not have satanic. It wasn't satanic. When you actually think about it, no. <laughs> All right. But I must say, um, the guitar intros were a great idea. And it looked like nobody came out that joint hurt or scathed. Everybody came out unscathed. So shout out Cardi. Great concert for niggas who didn't get to go. He'll have another show. 
So. All right, shout out. But I told you niggas. I told you niggas. I told you niggas. I told you niggas about this album. <laughs> 11 months ago, I told you niggas what this album needed to be listened to. Under what setting, under what format, under what lighting. I told you niggas. All that. And now you see what's going on with the streaming numbers. Whole lot of red is bumping up crazy. I think it's back in the Billboard Top 100. This is oh, true. Man. These are facts. This is the concert that you. This is the concert that your dreams or dream come true. Not even Astro World was like concert of my dreams. No cap, 2018. But it might be soiled for that man. <laughs> All right. Uh, anybody want to play unheard artist before we transition into our Jordan Simone interview? I do. I'm gonna play. Tuck that Hayden by Bash for the World. Got too many hoes got down. Got too many rogues got down. Too many fro got down. Ooh, I got too many flow got down. Too many rogues got down. Too many hoes got down. That's why you love the hood and still slide through, don't you stay in the birds? These hoes might lie with you, got a pretty ass fate, but don't host the birds. My claim should die for you, but the bitch gon' snitch when that bitch get hurt. And them folks might ride with you, could probably get thick when that pot get served. But I can't even say no words, can't say shit when you jogging in first. And I ain't tryna spend no verse, won't even quote your name with no verse. Broke boy tryna hop in the purse, you won't talk shit when you ain't popping them purse. Ooh, got it straight out of the dirt. Piss that boy. I got straight out of the earth. Ayy, but hit your man with a brick or something. Let him slide on the lick or something. Get him lit with a zip or something. Count money, get a bitch or something. Instead of hating on me for nothing. Instead of hating, nigga, we be stuck. Instead of hating, nigga, we get a money. Got no. What's happening? Like, talk to us a little bit about, you know, your music, kind of your background, your story. Like, you know, who, who is Joy Simone? Yeah. Um, so. A lot of my influence, I will say, is because I grew up in a very, like, musical household. My dad's a singer. Um, my mom grew up as a keys player. So I always grew up, like, in a very artistic setting. I went to musical theater conservatories my whole life. And so a lot of my, like, I, I guess, passion live in, like, in the arts. Um, I, uh, as a kid, grew up go- going to church and then from there, um kind of went to an arts high school where I studied a whole bunch of different genres of music like jazz, R&B, pop, uh, classical, like literally like a whole bunch of stuff. Um, And then from there, I kind of like have been delving into like, what is my artist sound? Like, I feel like I've been influenced by so many things musically and so many things artistically that I've been in the past few years really just trying to cultivate something that feels authentic to me. So right now I'm really um, passionate about making R&B music that feels pop leaning, that has a lot of energy, that Mm -hmm. has, that has a dance feel to it. Um, yeah, because I just feel like I wanted to be representative of who I am, and like I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm an energetic person that like, you know kind of just wants to spread the energy, spread the love. How was that transition? Because I know a lot of people. I grew up in like my mom used to like drag me to church every Wednesday, Sunday. I'd be in church probably like ten hours a week every week. God damn. She yeah. had you on the Wednesday. That's type of crazy. Bible crazy. study. Oh, y'all was yeah. in Bible study. Lord yeah. mercy. I had choir rehearsal every <laughs> Tuesday, baby. Tuesday night was not a game. Don't book nothing for Tuesday night because you had church on Tuesday night. 
Yeah, me um, in the choir till I was like 12. I just started joining so many sports. I couldn't make rehearsal anymore. She finally like took me out the choir. Man, but, this man was in the choir, bro. As he should have been. On the keys. My mom was trying to get me on the keys so bad in church, and I was. Just oh my god! Going. There's always the mamas that want the boys to be the uh, the instrumentalists, and it's like, but this child can't play. Get this kid oh, off the drums. Child? Damn. <laughs> I'm not trying to shoot you, that, but I. <laughs> But there was always a moment. There was always a no, moment. Yeah, gospel gospel keys were not for me. That's a whole but, different battle. Yeah, they, been they in the church though. Organ. So much. It's mad. Vance as an organ player is hilarious. <laughs> 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 We've been in the church so much, I would notice like there would be like these fire singers, you know, like there's the girls that like they just incite the Holy Ghost and like niggas in the church and like, <laughs> damn, she could probably like really do something if she like switched from church to like like stop singing for 60 year olds and started singing for people our age but then they never actually do it so as someone who actually like made that switch what's that been like like obviously your demographic switch like trying to because the thing is it wasn't necessarily about like singing for young people versus old people i feel like um no matter like no matter that whole age demographic i feel like everything that i gained as far as like my musical confidence like my musical security like understanding like like choices understanding like the power of life performance and like because people don't really like or i'm sure people actually do realize like when you're like singing in church like although that's like for a very like religious and like powerful um force that the art of performance still remains the same at the end of the helpful to like everything that I write considering that um I understand like like the I guess like the, the power of like a, like a strong relationship with something with someone because I'm still pretty religious myself um and then also too it's like as a performer I know like I've exactly like kind of like what you said Tosh like I've seen singers literally like worship in the Holy Ghost into a church and I, I kind of feel like I have a great sense of like what that feels like and not that I'm trying to you know bring in the Holy Ghost and I'm singing my little R&B stuff about my little heartbreak that's not what I'm saying <laughs> but um I think some of the like similar things go into that you know what I mean yeah I never really thought about the performance side of it and how to like build confidence that's interesting yeah it, it correlates completely like i literally am the performer i am literally is like so church like especially like depending on like what type of church you grew up in my church was like we were like everyone was cinematic everyone was grand everything <laughs> was big you feel me like yeah. it was a it was like a movie kind of so i feel like i always want to bring that to the stage every time i get the opportunity to perform talk to us a little bit about like kind of your process so you know, who do you make music for? Like, how do you decide what get released, what doesn't? Um, just just because you do have you do have a good chunk of music out, like five or six songs. But, you know, the releases are obviously very intentional. Um, they're very selective. So just talk to us about, you know, kind of your methodology, uh, which is how you're doing it. I think it's um, specifically for an up and coming artist. It's very, very important to be very. I don't know, poignant about the choices that you make as far as like what you release as singles and what things feel more like um, project songs. And that's one component of it. Like I feel like um, over like during COVID, I went through a phase where I was like, you know what? Like I really want to focus on being a songwriter. Like I feel like I'd really love to make my entrance into the industry like via songwriting and like through the publishing route which is absolutely amazing. But then I ended up deciding that like my passion really is an artistry and that I don't necessarily want to hop into something that like I'd be considering as some type of backup plan. Um, 
but I'm saying that to say that like I challenged myself to write 50 songs over like um this like quarantine summer so I'm, was that 2019 or 2020 summer one like oh 2020 summer and um it really really kind of helped me decipher through like what I feel like is first of all good and bad songwriting what is a good and bad storytelling and then also too like what is jordan simone's brand and what is just something that i like want to write like like i was telling you earlier like i'm really passionate about like bringing the energy back to r&b and that's why people ask me my genre i'm always saying that like i'm i'm r&b pop leaning because there are a lot of like pop elements to like the songs that i release and so sometimes for the things that i feel like live like a little bit more like in the alt indie or uh the the alt r&b space or in the down the middle pop space or like whatever genre that could be i'm saying okay that could still be great songwriting but that doesn't represent jordan simone brand so i've been mm -hmm. very very intentional about releasing things that feel very unique and niche to what i'm about as far as like representing like jordan simone as the artist versus just jordan simone the songwriter who is like also tight but like that's not not like that's not the point you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Which one do you, which Jordan do you feel is the like your strong suit if you had to Jordan the songwriter, Jordan the artist? Jordan the artist. She's, 50 she's... songs in the summer. That's crazy. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, it was honestly one of the, first of all, one of the most humbling experiences ever. And then um, also one of the most, like, I wasn't necessarily even doing it to like teach myself or like, quote, like gr get great at it. Like I just, like I um, was talking to someone and, you know, a whole bunch of false promises in the industry. Like someone was saying like, if you write 50 songs and put together a catalog, like we going to pop, 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 whatever. We heard that before. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't heard it a million times. But either way, I'm really glad that like I actually, actually did believe that person and I actually did complete that task because I understand like my pen so much better than I ever did prior to and I've been writing music for years but I had never disciplined myself to take my artistry away and to simply focus on my pen outside of like outside of my brand um so honestly it depends on the day like I would say like overall the answer would be Jordan Simone the artist but like if Jordan, if Jordan's in her little sad bag, if Jordan's like in her little like <laughs> cooped up in the corner moment, it's giving very much so Jordan, Jordan Simone, the songwriter. <laughs> That's interesting though, because I guess we'll we'll broaden it from you because we're gonna talk about Summer Walker in this episode. Uh, yeah, we already talked about Summer Walker in this episode, and the thing I, I like about Summer Walker the most is her pen. Like I yeah. think her voice is like it's cool, but I think like her vulnerability when she writes is what makes everybody go crazy over Summer Walker because everybody exactly kind of relates. Yeah. So it's like, I do think like, even if, I don't know, I was just interesting because you said your R&B pop leaning, but also like the sad girl is the songwriting. So it's kind of like, how do those two like intertwine? When I think of, when I think of pop, I don't really think of songwriting more. So I think of energy, but yeah. if you're such a good songwriter, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you see how do those saying? intersect? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a super valid question. Um, I I think though, at least in my interpretation of pop, because we obviously we do go to a PWI, and I'm in the music program at a PWI, so I'm actually influenced by a lot of white like, pop artists in general. Not even let me not even say white. Let me just say pop artists in general. And like some of the coldest writers I've ever met are these pop writers that I go to school with classes with and they make things that feel really down the middle but I think that for me it's not or my interpretation of like 
pop songwriting isn't necessarily simply based on energy, but really based on storyline. Pop songwriters are great at creating like a, a arc. I think the strong, mm. a cool thing about R&B is that we're super vibe based. So we're very based on like, like what about it feel like, what, what is the feeling of it that feels like sexy or what is it, what, what mm-hmm. is the feeling that feels like closed off or vulnerable or pissed or like whatever that distinct emotion is. But song, um, but pop songwriters don't write like that. Pop songwriters start their story and in their story. And then within their story, you get the feeling of like what the story was about. So I feel like my, uh, when I talk about like being pop slash um, or like pop, or sorry, R&B pop leaning, I'm saying that to say that I really do appreciate um their the story arc that they create within their music and kind of like the catchiness of their hooks and stuff like that so i i i want to also say that like although i love me some pop and i love me some r&b and everything in between that i still consider myself an r&b artist i just feel like with the in with the current climate of r&b being super chill lo-fi laid back like smokers music in a sense i kind of want to create or I want to take a different route where, you know, Summer Walker, in my opinion, makes like super great music. It's just super chill music. And that's mm. great for her. And it sounds, and I'm, I'm a fan, no question. But for what I'm trying to create in my niche, I'm really, really passionate about creating energetic R&B that has a storyline, you know? So who, not to compare yourself to anybody like that, but who, who do you, who do you admire in the industry? that you feel like is is doing something different because we talk about that a lot like just with r&b especially Vance, he feels like a lot of people have kind of been boxed into like this kind of whisper r&b like chill hip-hop fuse like r&b back really for the last you know past couple years now so you know name a couple you admire yeah okay that's actually mad interesting that you're talking about like uh, like van saying that because um like I, I definitely think that like I'm I'm obsessed with the fact that R and B is like really like hip hop influence and like a lot of the production elements live in a hip hop space and that's really really cool, um, but it does start to feel a little bit repetitive. I feel like with some of these artists where I feel like I, we're getting the same four chord progression, like the same eight oh eights, the same subs, and like just a, like a slightly different melody and we call it a different song. So I will say the repetitive nature of it is kind of like I'm not obsessed right now, but people who I'll say it's not a matter of like who I like in R&B because honestly everyone in R&B is doing really cool shit for what they're doing mm-hmm. but something who I feel like is like bringing something new to it at the current moment is Lucky Day. Lucky Day has mm. so like he is making energetic ass R&B music like with busy bass lines and like crazy like uh like like just like crazy not crazy but like very very like bright sounding things like things that you want to like dance to like things that put you in a good head space a positive energy i think lucky day is sick i think joyce rice is like Mm. bringing back like a really like um i always mispronounce her name what's her name amory the one the girl who's uh, the uh, the artist who sings one thing this the one thing that got me tripping um fuck i can't remember i've been calling her amiri but okay i don't know if it was like amory does sound better I don't know which one it is, but her. I feel like she's five. five. <laughs> she's five, right? And I feel like, um, and I feel like Joyce Rice is kind of tapping into that space. And when I tell you that is an R and B dance record, baby, that is an R and B dance record. Um, who else can I say? I'm like really, really fucking with. And then I'll, I'm always gonna be a scissor stand. Like she could, she could release anything, and I'm always gonna support it 100. Just because control brings something new to the current climate of R&B that I have not heard anyone do and not or actually now niggas are trying to replicate it I'm sorry we I don't know if I'm allowed to say niggas on here my bad very good <laughs> <laughs> I'm like am I allowed to cuss 
<laughs> um yeah <laughs> sorry i'm back so um yes yeah, so it's just like created like an entire i want to say like subculture within r&b that like now people are biting off of like hella um so for that i'll always kind of like see her as like the patent in a sense so my mm -hmm. top three r&b right now is lucky day joyce rice and SZA. Just fire top three top very three. respectable yeah, yeah. right facts <laughs> um that's that's a fire top three uh so so talk to us um i want you to talk to us about this new singer you got coming up so when it's coming <laughs> Nigga sounds hilarious. like every radio host. Sound like DJ NG. <laughs> tell me about no. this new single, Jordan. Come on. What we getting? Them. What we getting with this? Not them call me a lizardit. But go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh my god. I'm trying. I'm trying to be as least cringy as possible. <laughs> no. Um. Basically, this single's called Hideaway. Um. I have recently like just been like this has been like an interesting year for me it's been a very transitional year as far as like my own social and personal life and so I wanted that to kind of be reflected into like the music that I'm making right now and um I feel like hideaway okay something else that I feel like like the idea of really I kind of want to like touch on too is I think it's super like tight when you like write a song as a songwriter like in like a ballad sad space and then you bring it to a producer or, like you try and like or you flesh out the idea and like it turns into like a record you know what I mean like I think that's so cool like just because it starts one way doesn't have to any other way so I've written this song like in it like in its ballad form like on some like sad girl type shit like on my Jordan Simone songwriter type but then I brought it to a producer of mine that I've that I've um that goes to USC, a guy named Johnny May, killer producer. Um, but actually, he leans more pop. So he actually does a lot of more pop music. And I brought him the song as a ballad. And he was like, honestly, I feel like he'd be so cool if we, like, gave it, like, um, kind of revived it and gave it this, like, Destiny Chow meets, um, uh, hold on. Somebody's, like, walking up to my car right now. I'm, like, trying to get the, oh, let me run away. Okay, I'm back. Um. <laughs> <laughs> if we gave it like a Destiny's Child meets like a Leah vibe and like kind of like brought back like the early 2000s R&B feel to it like where would that live and mm. I was like I'm not like I'm not really sure about that like this was like that that wasn't the original idea but like as we started fleshing it out it became so like wait this is like such a dance record and if you listen to the lyrics of it it's honestly like kind of like oh it's kind of sad it's kind of bittersweet it has like a lot of these like like I, I guess like more um, vulnerable emotions that you wouldn't expect to be like in a quote dance song um but that fit actually really really well so i'm really happy about it when is coming out um from, oh, lord have mercy it's coming out top of the year it was initially supposed to come out in november we had some uh, issues with solidifying um like cover arts and stuff like that and i wanted to make sure it was right just because this is kind of like the third single of my um kind of like of the era that i'm in right now mm -hmm. i'm not sure if like any other artists feel this way but like i feel like every like few songs like feels like a different era you know what i mean and so the era that i'm in right now is kind of like the third single of that era and i didn't want to rush it because i actually really do believe in the song and i feel like it could actually do really really well if it was given enough time and energy and like was very precise with my decision making so it should be coming out the top of the year and i have a um i have a live sessions version coming out a few weeks post okay okay so i want to i want to ask a quick question about that so based off like the feel of a record i know you talked a little bit about some like extenuating circumstances that made you have to delay it but 
how important is that to you at least um you know deciding you know when to drop this type of record so you're dropping it in january which is like you know it's cold most places so how does that factor in okay that's like a super valid point and you think like okay well this song feels more fall this song feels more spring or whatever the case may be but i will say that um that when trying to establish the overall brand i'm not as preoccupied with like releasing a song based on what quote uh season it feels like but more based on how i feel like it could be consumed by the audience and that's why i care about like a release actually like being presentation wise perfect especially like in the interim years of my career i want my brand to really be like clear to people and like um this is something like, like advice like i've always received from like um, execs in the industry like anytime you ask them like what are you looking for in an artist like what exactly is that thing where you're like oh wait this is an artist versus like this is just another motherfucker making music you know what I mean mm -hmm. and the main thing they say is if I can see their content if I can listen to their music if I can see their visuals and understand exactly what they're going for and so I want to make sure that like everything that I release besides the fact that the music being great because that's literally 50% of the job which is crazy as an artist but literally only 50% Everything mm -hmm. else lives in coming up with a cohesive brand, uh, a specific look, a specific niche. And so I, I want to make sure that I don't box myself in, that I create something that feels unique, that I kind of check off my own boxes that I feel like executives will be looking after. So like in, in a year or a few or so or whatever, um, when people are like, like what type of thing is Jordan going for? It's like, oh, Jordan been going for the same thing for that for a minute. Like we know exactly what her brand is. Like we know exactly what she's going for. Like we understand her as an artist. You know what I mean? I love hearing these as a producer and like manager. I love hearing these I statements from an artist because it's really that like hands on, like me versus everybody yeah. shit. A lot of artists <laughs> would just like blame lack of brand on like management or be like, ah, oh, well, I make music, so like my job's done. But like. The fact that you the fact that you acknowledge music is really only fifty percent of it today is just like that's just really I, good to I hear. wish fifty percent I wish uh, the job was only making music hell right. I would I would be you know what I'm saying like that's that would be a beautiful um, falsehood but that's just like just not the case it's just not I feel possible. Like it's literally not possible, especially in this era where like the market is so heavily saturated with amazing talent and also I mean not that talented of people either way many people still making it nonetheless you know what i mean but if i want to advocate as someone who's just more than another uh, artist who's able to release their music independently through spotify and that i actually want to establish myself as an artist that could, that that will sell out um madison square garden and and staples center and all this stuff i want you to see something that feels well packaged enough to where you would fund that you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's fire. Very sounds very focused. Very very focused. That's another thing I feel like a lot of people are just looking for an artist, like especially just like up and coming artists, like focus, like you said, having that brand, knowing what you want to go for. So yeah, uh, that's fire. <laughs> All right, it's been yeah, it's been great talking to you, Jordan. It's been a fun interview. It has been. <laughs> it didn't feel like an interview. It felt like a little conversation. <laughs> All right, we do this yes. thing on our podcast. We play Unheard Artists. But for you, special guests, we're going to uh, let you pick one of your own songs for the Unheard Artists. So which song do you want us to put right here in the podcast? Oh, y'all so sweet. Um, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan's feeling very much so um, burned. She's feeling burned by Jordan Simone. <laughs> I think that's the vibe of, of the current situation. See with my two eyes. Oh, she 
Over, dog. 